Hi, we're here with Father Fred Miller. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's uh, Seminary in Systematic Theology. He's been on the network many times, and I grabbed him for a quick little interview for our blog. Uh, welcome, Father Miller. Thank you, Father. I wanted to ask you about your uh, your new book on St. John uh, Marie Vianney. Uh, about, I know you've taken a lot of seminarians over. What is uh, the core message you try to give the seminarians when you take them to ours? What's the message you give them? Well, you know, when I was at the North American College in Rome, a group of the deacons asked if I would lead their retreat for priesthood at ours. And that was the, really the first time I spent any extended period of time there. We went for a five-day, five-full-day retreat. I had visited ours before that, but just passing through, maybe an hour or two, at the Basilica where St. John Vianney is buried. What struck me during that time, that extended time in ours, is that John Vianney brings everyone, every priest especially, to the most fundamental aspects of the priesthood. He didn't waste time. He got right down to the core of things. And so when you go into the little church where he was pastor for 41 years, it's very obvious what a priest is supposed to do. He's supposed to, of course, in the first place, celebrate Mass, hear confessions to prepare people to celebrate Mass with him and to receive Holy Communion, preach so that people know what the Mass is, what the Eucharist is, what, they, what sin is, what confession is. And every day he taught catechism. So there's a special little table there, a catechetical desk, he called it. And he gathered his people every day and gave them a lesson from the catechism, then the catechism of the Council of Trent. So saying Mass, hearing confessions, preaching, teaching catechism. And then if you walk around the very small parish, town of ours is only about three, four city blocks long. You see a school he started for the poor children of the parish so that they'd be able to advance in life. And he also started an orphanage for girls who had been abandoned. Mm -hmm. So the works of charity um, are very obvious as well. And today, when you look at the priesthood, you're at the seminary, you're a spiritual director, you're a formator there. What are some of the emphasis you make to the seminarians today that you think uh, they need to emphasize in their priesthood? Maybe their preaching style or specific works, and it kind of works better if I hold this. Okay, <laughs> okay that's fine. I, I think, Father, that the thing that I want to stress with the seminarians in ours and at the seminary the two things I want to stress are, first of all, the um, purpose for our ordination. Christ chooses us, and he gives us his grace. He configures us to him as good shepherd. And so he wants to continue his ministry through us as priests. And we do that, he does that, through our preaching of his word, through our celebration of his sacraments, and through the pastoral care that we give to the people. So I'd like to um, I'd like to stress that triad, preaching, sacramental ministry, pastoral service. And then also I'd like to stress another triad. I'd like to help the students to understand that the easiest way to be a good priest and to allow Jesus to continue his ministry through us is to be very simple in our lifestyle, to be detached from uh, material things, to be chaste, to 
live as carefully as possible that promise of celibacy that we make, and also to be obedient to the church and whatever the church asks us to do in the liturgy and canon law through the directive of the bishops and so forth. So that the three munara, the three uh, tasks, the three offices of the priesthood, teaching, sanctifying, shepherding, aided by, facilitated by, poverty, chastity, and obedience freely embraced by the diocesan priest. What is your advice about preaching? I know your last name is Miller, but you're half Italian or full? My mother was Italian. Italian. Yeah. And I can, I can see the Italian when you preach. And you, I know we all have our own unique styles and approaches, but generally, what do you tell the students about how they should approach and prepare a homily? Uh, that's... An, not an easy question to answer. I think that preaching certainly is a grace, and God gives many graces and charisms to preachers if we allow him to give those gifts and if we receive them. The main point, I think, of preaching is to make Jesus present through the Word so that people can, through faith, see him, hear him speak to them, and challenge them to change and to live a deeper life of faith and, and conversion. So the real, there's a, a real presence of Jesus in the proclamation of the word and the preaching of the word. And that means the priest has to learn, and this is difficult, the priest has to learn to step aside so that Christ can be magnified. So he shouldn't be talking about himself. He shouldn't be talking about banal things. He should be talking about Christ and his message and how that message of Christ is able to be lived out in the world today. For your personally, when you prepare a homily, what are some of the things you do? Well, first of all, I try always to understand what the literal meaning of the text is. So in other words, what's the prophet saying to Israel? What's the context in which he's talking? Uh, what is St. Paul saying? What is Jesus saying? Not what I think he's saying or what other people imagine he's saying. What is he? What does he mean? The words that he uses, what did they mean in his time? Uh, the parable, what's the point that he's trying to get across? And I try to base the preaching on that literal meaning of the Scripture, the literal sense of the Scripture, and then draw spiritual points from that. I know oftentimes, too, when we, we think of the curé, I think of his... Uh, for his ferocious penance that he did. Mm -hmm. What do you tell a young priest about penance? The, at the beginning of John Vianney's ministry, he fasted in a way that to us is incredible. I mean, he ate a potato a day. But he stopped doing that after a while because he realized that he couldn't sustain the preaching ministry and especially the ministry of hearing confessions with that diet. So he yeah, I mean, he never ate extravagantly, but he mitigated that, and he realized that that was not the main penance that God was asking him to do. The main penance was availability to the people. So to sit in the confessional for 12, 15 hours a day was a far more acute penance than eating a potato a day. What about when you when you see the church today? You were ordained in 69? 72. 72. And uh, you've seen the church go through a lot. Um, today, what are the challenges in terms of the people in the pew and what you would tell a, a young priest 
the issues that need to be addressed? I think that there's a few crises that face priests today. The first is the image of the priest. There are so many different priests projecting different images, different ways of the priesthood, and I think that's somewhat confusing. That's why I think St. John Vianney is so valuable. Certainly we're not living in his times. He lived in the aftermath of the French Revolution. He was facing issues that we don't face in the same way today, so we can't just replicate his life. But he helps us, I think, to see a clear image of what the priest should be. You look at his life, you see his parish church, you spend a few days in his village, and you realize what the priest is supposed to do, whatever the situation, whatever the crisis, is to preach what Jesus preached, celebrate the sacraments that Jesus left to us, and take care of people the way Jesus did. And that, it seems like when you get down to the essence, it invigorates the young any priest, you know, when he hears his call put in a clear, simple way, he thinks, I can do that. You know, with God's grace, I can do that. I think that's a, a powerful message. What about the role of uh, Mary in the life of the priest? Well, just stay on the topic of St. John Vianney. Mary was his mother, and he entrusted everything to her. Uh, people came upon him often when he was praying to her, and he was just asking her very often for the conversion of a sinner, for healing for someone who was sick, um, for the return of someone to the church who had fallen away. A very simple request, but there was a very obvious dependence upon her. He realized that Christ wishes us to seek grace through her and to receive his grace from her hands. So he had that habitual spirit of dependence on Our Lady. And, for instance, when he um, renovated his church, beautified it, he was always interested in making the church a more beautiful place for worship. Uh, He had a statue of the Immaculate Conception put in the church, and there's a heart that hangs from Our Lady's neck And he wrote his own name in the name of all the parishioners in the parish and put it in her heart. And that was his way of consecrating the parish to to the heart of Mary. He was fascinated by the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. He said that the day of the definition of the dogma uh, in 1854 was the happiest day of his life. What, What would be the impact of that, of her being immaculately conceived, uh, in the life maybe of the baptized, what is her role and how does that underpin her role in that? I think John Vianney was so fascinated by that because he recognized in her uh, a woman who had been preserved from sin by God's grace and his whole life as a priest was spent uh, liberating people from sin by grace so that he recognized in the forgive that Mary, the Immaculate Conception, is not... Uh, it's not the forgiveness of sin. She never sinned. She was preserved from sin. But he was making people sinless by absolving them. He was taking their sins away. And so in that sense, there was a link with the Immaculate Conception. Now, we understand, I know you've preached a lot. You've done work here at the network on uh, the true devotion of St. Louis Marie de Montfort. Uh, 
I know we speak of that as a, it's a consecration, right, that unfolds the baptismal grace. Can you speak about her role in that unfolding and living out that commitment we make in our baptism? Certainly, John Vianney was consecrated to Our Lady. He consecrated his parish to Our Lady. He put shrines all over the place, and he asked every parishioner to have a shrine to Mary in on the front lawn or in the house. Um, I, I don't know that he had any contact with the writings of St. Louis Marie de Montfort. I have a sense that he didn't because St. Louis de Montfort's works were really just rediscovered in 1846, I believe, um, maybe a little earlier than that in France. But then in this country, in England, it was translated uh, then. But I th- believe that um, he, he would say that when we're baptized, he was very much in the French school of spirituality, that when we're baptized, we're incorporated into Christ. Christ lives in us. We live in him. And all sorts of relationships rise out of that baptismal font. So we become sons of Christ's father. We become sons and daughters in the son. And as God the Father becomes our Father in Christ, Mary becomes our mother as well. So that that happens in baptism, but it's implicit. It's not in the rites, the role of Mary as spiritual mother. So the consecration that the Montfort proposes and the consecration that I believe St. John Vianney lived was a baptismal spirituality. It was a recognition that Mary's motherhood is something objective that rises out of baptism. It rises out of our incorporation into Christ's body at baptism. You know, it seems like the saints, the saints do have such a horror of sin. And you read, like, the sermons of of St. John Vianney, and and that certainly comes through. How do we, we seem to lose that oftentimes. How do we keep that green and fresh, that horror of sin? The saints were so horrified by sin because they knew the tender love of God and that sin was opposed to that. So I think if we can give people a sense of God, a sense of his tender love for us, a sense of his holiness, that people then will almost instinctively realize that sin is the opposite of that and turn away from it. So I don't think that just constantly pounding the pulpit and denouncing sin is necessarily the best way to to do that. I mean, we need to help people to understand what's right and what's wrong. We have to proclaim in its totality the moral teaching of the church, but I think it's very helpful to help people to understand the um, the beauty and the goodness, the holiness of God. Uh, you know, the, in holy orders, the man's configured to Christ, and and he is to be, right, the presence of the good shepherd to the flock. Can you speak about that presence that the priest is to bring you know, to the church? Well, in, at the moment of priestly ordination, the priest is configured to Christ as the good shepherd. So there's something that happens deep in his soul that gives him the ability to be the presence of Jesus for his people. And he also receives grace 
to do that for the course of his whole lifetime. So that there is, I don't know how to explain it, but I experience it, you experience it, that the people recognize in us the presence of of the Lord. I remember on my ordination day, we gave the blessings in the various chapels behind the main altar, and uh, people came for a couple of hours seeking blessings, many of them strangers to me. And I remember a few women who began really to open their heart to me, telling me about their problems in their families with their children, asking for prayers. And I said to myself, I remember saying to myself, why are they telling me all these things? You know, what this, this is something that never really happened to me in a public forum, uh, people just opening their hearts. And then I realized later, maybe much later, that they were really bringing all this to our Lord. They just they instinctively recognized in the priest, even at the first in the first hours of his priesthood, that there is a presence of Jesus in the priest. That's not in that's not just in the baptized person. Yeah, I have experienced the same thing. I, you wonder why you keep asking me for prayer, and you know we have a group of sisters, contemplative sisters, that pray all the time, and I always think, the, but they. I know the faithful uh, do expect that and have a right to expect that from their priests and to pray and intercede for them and to be there for them. Well, Father, we've spoken about uh, the great work that the priest uh, does. What is the personal moral obligation he has in fulfilling his vocation? When we receive the sacrament of holy orders, we have a new obligation to seek gospel holiness, to seek the perfection of love. Every Catholic has that obligation by baptism and confirmation because of the reception of the Eucharist. But the priest, by a new title, has to seek with absolute sincerity to be another Christ. And that's why when priests do things that are sinful and scandalous, it hurts the church so badly because people expect priests to be holy and they expect to find Jesus in in the priest. So that's why it's so important for our people to pray for the sanctification of the priesthood. And it's important for priests to give the first place to the ministry to other priests, mm. that we have to help one another to, to be holy and to follow Christ. Mm. And that, that seems a particular need today with um, fewer priests out there, lots of you know, big parishes, they're stretched. Do you, do you see some solutions that can... Uh, that you would like to see happen to help priests in their fraternity? It's hard to talk about that because the country is so diverse. I'm from a large urban archdiocese where it would be possible for priests to live together and go out to the parishes, 10, 15-minute ride to the different parishes. There are many priests who live in the South and in the Midwest who are miles and miles from the next parish. So it would be hard for them to to live together. But I think priests and the bishop especially have to work at providing opportunities for priestly fraternity and priestly um, sanctity. I mean, I've given a number of retreats to priests over the years, and usually it's a very positive experience. And the difference in priest retreats, I think, is that there's time for prayer, there's time for reflection, meditation on the Word of God, but there's also time for reconnecting and priestly fraternity, and I think that's a good thing.
Well, I know I've experienced that too. You get together with other priests, and there's a strengthening. You feel um, fortified in the call. You almost like you discover the vocation in a new way. What is, there's a special brother. I know Benedict. In fact, uh, when he was giving a meditation on his 60th anniversary as a priest, he centered it on that line from John's Gospel that you know I call you friends now. That the priest is a special inv- invitation to friendship with Christ and one another. It's again, is that a, something mysterious that that happens? Or well, on the day that we're ordained, the bishop lays hands on us as successor of the apostles, and he gives us a share in the apostolic ministry as priests. But then all the other priests who are present lay hands as well, which shows that we are being incorporated into a fraternity, into a universal worldwide body of servants of Christ. So there is objectively um, a bond that exists among priests that comes right from the sacrament of holy orders. And yeah, it's yeah they're they're first ordained right in the upper room when he says do this in memory of me right that was part of part of that is including like the ordination and so there's that fraternity right there at the banquet that certainly images a fraternity um, and can you also speak about uh, pastoral charity and how that has a role in sanctification. I mean, sometimes, I know it's a balance between maybe our prayer life and our work, but we believe, right, that all that work of service that we do is at the same time sanctifying the priest. It's not an obstacle. I read somewhere once, I'm pretty certain that I read this, that John Vianney was dispensed from saying the divine office because of the pastoral care that he gave for confession, uh, that he was spending so many hours that um, that obligation to say the office every day was dis- he was dispensed of doing that by the bishop for a, in the last period of his life when he was here in confession sometime 16 hours a day. Um, and I, I think that that's something that's very hard. It's very hard to get a balance on that. A lot of our younger priests, I think, are they're very faithful to their prayer, and sometimes I think they're a little scrupulous, and they don't realize that there has to be a little give and take. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't do all the prayer that you want to do because all the pastoral work you're doing is prayer. Yeah. You go to the hospital and you anoint 15 people and bring 25 people Holy Communion. That's a big chunk of time when you're praying with people, right. yeah. and that's you know that has to be taken into account. Yeah. You're going to a priest's funeral, you're driving three hours, uh, you're praying coming and going, the funeral is an hour or two. Um, that's a big chunk of time in prayer, too. So I think we have to be we have to be prayerful, we have to be as faithful as possible to the office and to daily mass and to personal prayer, but we also have to realize that that's not on one side and ministerial work on the other. What about, you've written a book, uh, The Grace of Ours, on uh, the curé and, and the priesthood. Does that have anything to say to lay people? The book came out of the retreats in ours. So there are 10 conferences that uh, I gave in the past, and I would give again, on the spirituality of St. John Vianney in the context of the teaching of the Second Vatican Council. Um, it's basically a book that's for seminarians and for priests, but a number of lay people have read it and have benefited from it in the sense that it gives them 
a deeper awareness of the mystery of the priesthood and the mystery of the church. So I don't think that it's inaccessible to lay people, and I think that lay people have benefited and will benefit from taking a close look at the priesthood through the lens of the life of St. John Vianney. Can you speak about, as a priest, how you are strengthened and encouraged by the vocation to marriage and family life, like in your work with families? I, I think we make a mistake by always praying for an increase of vocations to the priesthood and the religious life. Now, don't throw me out of EWTN for saying that. But that's all you hear. You know, you, very often, especially uh, giving retreats to sisters or retreats to priests, that, that's a refrain always, an increase of vocations to the priesthood and to the religious life. The primary vocation is the vocation to holiness that comes from baptism. And most people attain that holiness through marriage. So I think that if we prayed for good, strong Catholic families, the problem with priestly vocations and religious vocations would resolve itself. How about personally? I, I know I was just visiting a family the other day, and I see you know, they had a number of children. I could see the sacrifices, the commitment they make, and uh, it, I feel invigorated seeing that. Do you experience that? Oh, absolutely. And it's from when we had strong and large Catholic families. That's when the seminaries were filled and the religious orders were filled. With the uh, terrible evil of artificial contraception, numbers of vocations have dropped all over the world. I heard like recently that even in India, the number of young women entering the convents and young men entering the seminaries is down. Mm -hmm. And that's directly connected to contraception and the fact that there are many people who are not living an authentic Catholic family life. So I think that if the priests, and especially the young priests, help couples to live marital chastity and to have the children that God wills them to have and to raise them in Christ, the seminaries and the religious orders will be filled again. There won't be any problems. So I think we might be going at the whole problem backwards. That could be a problem, right? <laughs> what, what do you tell marriage uh, what do you tell families about uh, to help them to live their, their vocation, uh, maybe in terms of a spiritual life or in terms of the role of Mary? Well, you know, I haven't – I don't deal too often with married couples being in the seminary now for almost 20 years. Somebody asked me when was the last time I officiated at a wedding, and I don't really remember. I'd have to really go back and think about that. Um, so that's not – my ministry isn't there, but – I feel that I am ministering to married couples by helping seminarians and priests to have courage in proclaiming the gospel of life to married couples. I think that's that's the way that I do it. I mean, everybody does it differently. I'm not in a parish. I don't have you know a lot of people that I'm preparing for marriage. But to help the seminarians to have courage to proclaim the truth of Pope Paul VI Encyclical Humanae Vitae. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time with us today. Thank you, Father. Nice mm -hmm. to be with you.